this. Yes, Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. Welcome back. If you're here, it's because you love movies and you hate yourself like me and you have no friends. And me. And yes, and you play video games, listen to podcasts at the same time. Sometimes you also text people while you're listening to podcasts, playing video games, doing all three at once because we live in a weird dystopian future. I'm Alex Bonner, one of your film school blockbuster historians joined by my other film school blockbuster historian on this the mighty blockbuster film school podcast what is your name you handsome young devil my name is nicholas souter nicholas i do uh i do not listen to podcasts i don't enjoy video games and i still use a rotary phone so i do not text <laughs> you just watch the same dvd copy of boys don't cry over and over again and, and but they do cry in my little reality kimberly pierce has had a really solid career afterwards <laughs> Definitely, yes. Not a weird one. No. Is that the one? She certainly directed a horrible remake of Carrie. Absolutely. Is that the one where Hillary Swank falls over and hits her neck on a stool? No, you're thinking of the new Karate Kid. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Is that the one where an old skeleton comes back to life and yells at a chair during the Republican National Convention? Yes, actually, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is actually that one, isn't it? And then the chair kills Hillary Swank. <laughs> well, we're not talking about that guy no we're, no. we're talking about less that's gonna be ghosts. way down the pipe that's gonna be years and years from now when we that's when we're contractually maybe, obligated yeah. <laughs> by studios to talk about dead people even when we do our sergio leone episode we will still refer to him as that sentient skeleton who came back to life to yell at a chair me from our content hands Mitt somebody Romney's had, best friend somebody has to pick up the torch from charlton has to no but this week we are talking about one of our favorite directors oh, yes. national treasure Human delight, Mr. Unless Mike. you work with him. Oh, yeah. As opposed to all those famous Hollywood directors who are just like <laughs> super sweethearts. Everyone's like, you know who I like hanging out with? George Lucas yeah. said no one, including his own family. Uh, also, Hanks- I apologize. I apologize up front. I'm sorry. Please. Yeah. please also why me. Tom Hanks has only directed one movie. Kind of. Yeah. too nice. Yeah, that's probably true. But to get back. We're, we're, Giovanni we're, Ribisi was like. What are you going to do about it, old man? And then he pushed him on the set of... Uh, that's why his arms broke in the whole movie. <laughs> that, is, that is not fake. That is not. Uh, we are talking about Mr. Michael Mann. Ooh. Hey. Yeah, we clapped. Very excited. We clapped here in the studio, in the luxurious studio here in Chicago, Illinois. This studio has so much orange and brown. It's I love it. It's definitely not a basement in Niles, Illinois. No. That's for sure. It is a high-tech studio. I'm just a hologram. I definitely didn't eat 30-year-old peanuts the last time we recorded here. <laughs> Listen, that's part of the charm, okay? It is. Peanuts like wine get better when you let them age. Speaking of aging, mm-hmm. I'm going to do a little yeah. I'm going to do a little intro. Cuz also, let's face it, first before we go into this, me and Nick have been great friends for many years and we almost exclusively only talk about movies when we hang out. And one of the first ones that we really started to bond over was Michael Mann. And I knew that this is kind of a Nick episode, if you will, a little bit, because you know I love Michael Mann. I know a good bit about him, but you, he's kind of your guy. A little bit. I don't want to say obsessed because that'll end up in court one day. I'm just saying you went to see Black Hat in the movie theater. Can we save that for the part of the episode? Don't put that up front. I don't want to be embarrassed the rest of the night. Okay. All right. Fair. All right. That's okay. But uh, Michael Mann, mm-hmm. he is an older gentleman. He was he born in 1943. He's 76 now. Where was he born? He was born in the beautiful, politically corrupt city of Chicago, Chicago Illinois. Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. Oh, does he talk like that? He does. Oh, he, my he, God. My brother fell off the roof. Now he's got the brain damage. He's on set. He's going to do work. A couple, two, three more setups. Oh, and yeah. the day's over. Yeah, that's, that's probably correct. Um, he received his BA in English at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Yeah, I know. While, while he was there, he saw Dr. Strangelove and fell in love with film. Hmm. So that sort of changed the trajectory of his of his life because he went for English and he was into hmm. philosophy and history. And then in the mid-60s, he went to graduate school in London. Ooh, very fancy. Yes. And then he stayed there for five years after that and worked on commercials with Mr. Ridley Scott. Yeah. Was he part of Scott Company? Was he like... Uh, They did work there. They are friends. As far as I know, he had nothing to do with Alien Covenant. So, <laughs> well, you never know. Good, good for him. <laughs> but he was responsible for the some of the cocaine that Tony Scott did. Good chunk of it. I would good say. chunk of it. So uh, in the seventies, he uh, came back to America. He worked on a couple documentaries, mm-hmm. 
And then uh, the dude who was in charge of Hawaii Five O gave Michael Mann a shot. Not racist against people of native origin in Hawaii at all. Also, seventies were a different time. <laughs> My dad loved that show, and he tried to show it to us in the nineties. And I watched a bunch of episodes with him. Even then, I was like. Is every episode just going to be like there's some bad guy who's a Hawaiian guy who just like won't give up his land? I was like, this is weird. The Hoolies are the bad guys. Uh, anyway, continue. <laughs> Michael Mann wound up writing four episodes of Starsky and Hutch. Oh. And then he worked for a crime story. And <laughs> I like the idea that his episodes of Starsky and Hutch are like really real gritty. dark. Really Re- gritty. It's the one where Starsky dies. Yeah, they rewrite all the episodes he <laughs> He wrote because they all ended with him getting stabbed in the thigh and bleeding out. We <laughs> can't do this the on fucking, TV. The blood packs on Starsky just like explode. Like, oh, oh, oh. like Michael, we have a contract with him. He needs to be in these episodes. He's, like, He's dead weights. <laughs> you have to create drama. Yeah. Someone has to die in the second act. That's also how he talks. He talks like Batman for some reason. Back and forth between Batman, just a Chicago pizza, yeah, pizza yeah, delivery yeah. guy. <laughs> he worked on Crime Story, and I didn't know this. I thought he created Miami Vice, but he was just the showrunner and the executive producer. Yeah. I mean, he was the showrunner. Yeah. A big part of Michael Mann yeah. is the stylized Absolutely. image of my, everything in his thing. Also, one of my favorite Michael Mann things, period, probably the first thing I was exposed to was randomly, I remember my mom was a big fan of the show and the pilot episode that was like, I want to say an hour or an hour and a half, but it was kind of like a mini movie and Michael Mann directed that. And I remember seeing that on TV with my mom and being like, this is not like TV. This is not crappy TV. It was like dark and, and kind of cool. Like he was like driving a Ferrari around in like Miami at night and it's real dark and there's, you know, fucking Phil Collins playing. It sort of encapsulated all this stuff that that the American audience didn't know that they wanted, but they like yeah. they wanted it. Like they were You like, want the cool shots. You want the dudes wearing the fucking neon oh, yeah. jackets. Also, Taps, if you could edit in the audio of Phil Collins playing a bad guy drug dealer right here. Oh, That'd yeah. be great. I mean, I was never going to deal any coke. I mean, it just isn't my line at all. Yeah. Is he doing a bad American accent, too? During his I guarantee oh, he not was. Australian at all. He's not Australian. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know what he is. Was he British? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> it turns out he's just, like, from, like, Ohio. I don't even know. So he's, like, lying the entire time. My name's but, Phil. But it's the first time. I have to bring it up, though, because it's, like, the first time, though, for those of you who were born in, like, 2005 or whatever, Miami Vice was a huge cultural touchstone of the 80s in America. Like Men stopped wearing socks. They, they stopped wearing ties. They started wearing white blazers with neon shirts, like, neon blue shirts underneath because that's what Don Johnson did. Like... The guy who played Tubbs was a celebrity. There was this weird moment, like tons of actors got their start on that show. And so it's the first thing that Michael Mann did that was like hugely had an effect on the American culture and cinema. People were like, oh, we got to do this kind of shit now. And then there were tons of Miami Vice ripoff shows. And after that, everyone was like, oh, yeah, cocaine and cool cars and pop music, pop music and shows. I mean, it just blew all the other stuff out of the water. I mean, the cop shows before that were like, fucking Hawaii Five-0 with like dragnet and shit. It was, it was not like, I know this sounds insane, but Miami Vice is like, you don't get to the wire without Miami Vice. You don't like, someone had to be the first person to be like, no, it's kind of gritty when you like are a cop. But anyway, continue, continue. He made his first feature film at 38. Yeah. And that was, of course, the classic and only of his films in the Criterion Collection, Thief starring James Caan and, um, the shitty Belushi. But also a Chicago movie. Very Chicago movie. Yeah. Old Chicago Old movie. Old Chicago. None of it exists anymore. No, It's nothing. really crazy. Like, yeah. If you ever want to see what Chicago was like in the 80s, like I sort of vaguely remember it. It was still around in the 90s when I was yeah. kind of starting to go to coffee shops and bars and stuff. It was still around a little bit, but like some of those bars they go into, I'm like, oh, shit. Man, it's like watching a movie about ghosts. Yes, it really is. It's so visceral. It's like bars used to all just be packed and full of smoke and weird mirrors and all this kind of like, and now it's all... Full of people on Tinder dates creeping me out the entire time, you know? Wait, you like yogurt too? Oh my God. <laughs> you look different than your impression. But you can buy me drinks. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll Uber out of here. We can hang out until I'm too drunk to not like just walk outside and leave. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying you don't look anything like how I would want someone to look like when I date them. And you are weird and I don't really like you that much. But if I have to eat dinner alone again, I'm going to scream. So you can be my boyfriend. I don't know. That's exactly how women sound. Um, 
I know all about women. So Michael Mann doesn't know that much about women because that's one of the things. That's one of the things. If you are a Michael Mann protagonist, you are a very skilled man at one particular thing. Very true. Very true. Although I will say it's not like his female characters are portrayed as like weak or moronic or something like that. They're strong, but they're they're a lot of wives. I remember. Yeah, but I do remember like Char- uh I almost said Charlize, Judd in- Ashley Judd. Ashley Judd. And, yeah. and he, like, I remember her character arc kind of- Her more... name is Charlene, by the way, so you, you were pretty close. <laughs> I was like, I was like Charlize. Oh, no, it's not Charlize. It's the one who was Charlize in Hollywood before Charlize was Charlize. And also, it's Jessica Lange in The Insider, too, who plays- Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but you're right. It's a lot of wives and a lot of assistants. A lot of wives, and, assistants. Yeah. Nobody's like- because even in the actual, because okay, because Michael Mann's other um, super stylized eighty movie that was pretty great was Manhunter. Hell yeah! Once again, another cultural touchstone exactly. that would then change the America. First movie with Hannibal Lecter. The first movie that was about serial killers. I mean, really, like that was about the cerebralness of serial killers. And oh, no one's like super into true crime and movies about true crime and movies about serial killers now. No way. And that may or may not have kind of all sprouted from Manhunter. I have to lie about that to get on Tinder dates. <laughs> oh, I listen to my favorite murder every day. Oh, every day. Every day. Karen Kilgariff. Yeah. No, yeah. I actually like that, but I do listen to there. Also, her name is great. It Karen, is great. Karen Kilgariff. It's like, but yeah, like super stylized, super mm-hmm. it was a great fucking movie. Yeah. Very scary in parts. It's not like a horror movie. No, but but, it's, but that's what's great about his movies, though, is that they're they're so visceral in the action that they become. Very tense and yeah. very scary. Anyway, I'm sorry. I cut you off. In the book Red Dragon, the wife is the hero. Mm-hmm. Very different from the actual book. Absolutely. But, like, still keeps the same, like, Also, Will Graham is a vibe. little more of a wiener weirdo in the book. Like, he's, he's a, a He is a manhunter in this. Yes. He, is, well, he lives up to the title. Will Peterson looking, like, 80s dreamy in that movie. He like, is, yes. He's, like, got the cool silver hair, but he's clearly young, and he's, like, all tan from, like, Florida. And, like, and also, oh, God, what's his name? Our, our, our... One of our favorite Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan. And also Also. Dennis Farina, who was in Thief. Also Chicago guy. Also super Chicago. Well, Dennis Farina was an Dennis Farina was an actual Chicago police officer for many years. So his cop mustache, cop attitude, Chicago accent is for real. Also, his best line ever, though, is when uh, Michael Keaton shows up to date his daughter in Out of Sight and he's wearing a t-shirt that says FBI. And uh, Farina looks at him and goes, You wear one that says undercover too? <laughs> oh, I love Dennis Farina. RIP. <laughs> RIP. Super yeah. RIP. Also, the only other good Unsolved Mysteries host. Anyway, but Tom Noonan, who would go on and be kind of this really epic character actor, but most yeah. people know him as being the bad guy in lots of stuff. Last Action Hero, and I'm blanking a little Schenectady bit. Connected in New York. Schenectady, but he's not the bad guy. He's the cool guy who just follows him around yeah. and tries to. And he's he also, also he was in Heat. He's for got one a very scene. cool little role in Heat yeah. for sure. But also that element of like the serial killer and not just being exactly like Norman Bates in Psycho. Yeah. Being like, I dress up like my mother and kill. Like, no, he actually has weird power games. Is smart. That was a great Heath Ledger impression, by the way. Why? Thank you. <laughs> you want to see a magic trick? Um, <laughs> but that. No, he had depth. He, there was yes. sympathy with mm-hmm. his character because, like, he was he was not normal, and he also, did not. There are yes, sorry, I did cut you off there. No, I cut you off originally, though. That's okay. You cut you. But I was just going to say, I basically was going back and agree with the fact that, like, there are parts that are super innovative and genuinely scary in that yes. movie. Also, the opening POV shot of him just walking through the house, and you don't see any of the murders. And then when um, Peterson, oh, yeah. right? His name is Peterson. The actor? Peterson, yeah. He goes Peters. back, Will Graham. Yes. When Will Graham goes mm-hmm. back and starts doing his, because like he wasn't, in the beginning of the movie, Dennis Farina has to convince him to go back to the forest because Hammond Elector fucked him up. Yes. So he goes and investigates this family that gets murdered. And through Will Graham, we see how the murder happened. He yes. describes it in detail. Yes. And it is tense. It's one dude in a room talking to a tape recorder. Yeah. And it is just like. I got goosebumps right now. Somebody touched my nipples. Oh, yeah. They're rock hard. They are. Uh, they got glass. They very well could. Well, let's test it out. We're going to call you Diamond Nipples from now on. Um, Wouldn't be the first time. That's also the name of my bar. It's a it's a gentleman's club. Um, that Save that idea, though. That's actually <laughs> that's really actually good. Nothing. I'm actually going to write that down. And in that scene, there's this 
almost psychedelic scene where he starts looking around and you see the inside of his mind and you, you see what he thinks happened and the wife like gets out of bed, but it's in this weird negative. So when the family opens their eyes, they glow. Yeah. So he's in this creepy dream space of the family as they're being murdered in almost like a negative image. It's amazing. It blew my mind the first time I yeah. saw it. And then also, and this is going to be the theme, I guess, for me, is that Hannibal Lecter, who's Brian Cox in this movie, who is it's really amazing, good. which I know, you know, at this point, it's kind of like, which Hannibal Lecter do you like? I mean, I kind of like all three. I like Brian Cox a lot. I sort of like Mads Milkson a lot, too. It's getting, you know, it's sort of weird. On which I, one. I put Hopkins third. I kind of do, but he's also really good. It's yeah. not like one of those ones where he's like bad. He's not no, like. Here's the thing, though. Mm-hmm. Besides the fact that Mads was way too young. If you put him in Manhunter, yeah. it doesn't work. If you put Brian Cox mm. in Science of the Lambs, that movie still works. I also would toss this out there, though, because Mads is one of those like spooky Swedish or he's Danish, right? Uh, yeah. People who's just like super handsome and possibly doesn't age. I would maybe challenge you that maybe Mads, when he made that show, was older than Brian Cox was when he made the original Manhunter. <laughs> That's true. It's very, very possible. Mads could be a thousand years Mads, old. Mads could be like 60 years yeah. old, and I have no idea. Yeah, neither do I. Like, but there is that element. There it is. Another huge cultural touchstone. Exactly. Literally a character that I could say to someone, I'll be like, what are you, Hannibal Lecter? And people will be like, ah, you're hilarious. Alex. You're the funniest guy ever. You're the coolest. Like, please don't get out of this bar immediately. Um, the one you're working in. Yeah. <laughs> please leave, sir. No one tells me to leave. But- just that element that Michael Mann is like hitting yeah. it now. He's like hitting stuff, you know. I mean, let's face it, Belushi, <laughs> the, the bad Belushi didn't become a huge hit because of Thief, but Miami Vice, Manhunter, back to back. These are huge, yeah. sweeping movies. So. Also, just Manhunter, gorgeous movie. Yes. Supremely shot. Yeah. It looks like an 80s movie. Mm-hmm. If you watch Heats, you can't tell what decade it is. No. Aside from the cell phones. When yeah. you watch uh, Manhunter, it looks like the 80s, but yeah. it's so well shot Agreed. and stylized. It doesn't matter. It's also the first time I think he's really started to play with shadow and shade and contrast, which would be kind of his, in my opinion, marquee look. He's shooting on like this big 35 millimeter, but like using old Panaflexes, like these really cool old cameras and these really cool old lens systems. So there's this weird element where it looks like the 80s and it looks like new stuff. But because he's using the old cameras and the old film stock and a lot of these older dudes, you know, as gaffers and things like that, there's a touch of old Hollywood. Yeah. There's a touch of almost like solid black and white noir filmmaking to it, you know? All his moves, these are kind of noirs. The, yes, yes. They're kind of- He's a noir of, filmmaker. That, definitely Manhunter is a noir. Yeah, It's like truly a noir. And even though he says that, you know, Heat isn't an action movie, it's not a noir movie, he calls it a crime drama, that is a noir. Well, like, well, okay. The well, way it's shot. Well, yes, but if we're going to get into like true nerdy blockbuster film school, there are actual screenwriting rules in order to be a noir. Like neo noir? Neo noir just means that it's not like a detective of law enforcement. So something like Dirty Pretty Things or The Big Lebowski, those are noirs where a detective has to solve a mystery and there is like a femme fatale, which doesn't necessarily have to be a man or a woman, just a person who is the reason that they have to do it and they get mixed up into things and there are twists and it has to have sort of a weird ending. And oftentimes it has to have sort of like a twist that involves something really bizarre that they weren't expecting, you know? So in, for instance, the big Lebowski, it's great because like the weird mega twist is a, that bunny faked her own, you know, kidnapping and that the daughter of the other Lebowski wants to then have him impregnate her. You know, it's like, this is what? Like, so, and it has a weird ending where he talks to a ghost at the end. You know, so in that way, Manhunter, but Manhunter is truly an actual noir. It is a detective of law enforcement who is out to get a killer. And there are weird twists and there are weird things, but it ends... That one actually has a pretty happy ending, kind of unique for Michael Mann movies, that it ends happy, though. Well, Thief sort of has a happy ending, too. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of building up to his really super sad endings. Which also, I'm not going to lie, the first time I watched Heat, I did cry. Yeah. It was so Just at how great Val Kilmer's ponytail is. I was like, good. If I could just be on one podcast where we talk about Heat, don't bring it 
Val Kilmer's ponytail. It's okay. I'm not even being ironic though. It is the greatest ponytail in the history of cinema. I realize that. It's the only one I've ever seen pulled off where I was like, this is stupid, or like a guy who's fighting Chuck Norris in a canon film. Like it is straight up awesome. And Val Kilmer at like the heart of Val Kilmer dreaminess. And the same thing, like Michael Mann understanding things like that. Well, he offered the role to Keanu Reeves. You turn it down for Johnny Munanik. Oh, wow. Wow. But then kicking himself. However, I don't think so because Johnny Mnemonic then led the Wachowskis who were nerds to watch him in that and be like, what if we made this like good kind of true, but they did offer that to Will Smith first and he they turned did, it down. But, but I, me and Brian, our mega producer worked hey, at Brian. Chicago diner for a long time. And we knew Lana Wachowski pretty decently. She would come in a lot and randomly I had a conversation with her one time about that and according to her, she said she always wanted, they always wanted Keanu, but, but the studio, studio was yeah. like, if you could move this, we'll this movie. And then they were like, but what about Keanu? And they were like, I guess. <laughs> like, that was not exactly how Lana talks, but I did have to ask her about that. I, I thought it was an impression of a studio head. <laughs> oh, it was, you're all over the place with these oh, impressions. <laughs> studio heads all have like weird Long Island accents. Like, yeah, yeah, just make a bunch of action figures and shit. Kids into that. I don't know. What is he fucking Kevin Costner? He's like a goddamn, like a fish man or whatever. I don't fucking know. Whatever, whatever. Just make it out. Something like that. And then you just hear like a huge snore. Oh, it's good. Yeah, this is good. Just go real good. Spray down the fucking entire parking lot. Shoot some lights on it at night. That's how you fucking make a movie. That is Joel Silver. That's exactly how he sounds. That is a quote. That, yeah. That is, like, that's how you make a goddamn fucking movie. Quote Joel Silver underneath. But yes, Manhunter is amazing. In the true tradition of Blockbuster, when we worked there, or when I worked there, I don't know if we worked there at the exact same time. We didn't work at the same one, everyone. But that was always one of the ones that I would put in my favorites was Manhunter. And there would always be the conversation, you know, because I was like in high school and I was like being a dildo. It was like, you know that's a head of electric movie, right? And people would be like, what? Because this is sort of like semi-pre-internet. And people are like, no. And I'm like, yeah, it's it's Hannibal Lecter. It's Hannibal Lecter. No. Nah. Conversations in the late 90s were, early 2000s were real stupid. Oh, yeah. As opposed to I now. had a lot of them. <laughs> I might still be in a few of them. <laughs> you might be recording one right now. Um, but um, you brought up something before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Michael Mann really liking something and yeah. leaving it in a movie for too long. Yes. Manhunter is the first instance of that where Will Graham... Gets so freaked out by talking to Hannibal Lecter for the first time, he leaves in a hurry. Yeah. And then just runs down a set of like spiral fucking staircases <laughs> that goes on for like three minutes. Like, no, I get it. We get it, Michael. But like, do you have to show him running down every step? He loves scenes with running. I was telling you, like that scene in Ali, it is a good scene, but it could go on for like a minute and be very powerful. It goes on for, I'm going to say, three and a half hours. I'm not entirely sure, but I remember sitting in the movie theater, and we'll get to Ali, obviously, but Ali is Will Smith's tour de force acting thing. It is cool, it is watchable, but Ali is one of truly one of those Michael Mann's ones where I was like, this movie could be like a super lean hour and a half and be dope. You know what I'm saying? It could be high speed, awesome, and instead... I fell asleep during a scene where Will Smith is running and kind of woke back up when people started talking again. It literally went on for that long. You know what I'm saying? And I'm and I'm not saying like bash it. Like I know Muhammad Ali is important. I know he's awesome. I like Mo- like <laughs> I sound like Trump now. He's great. He is fine. He's a very fine person. But it's truly one of the ones where I think he's starting to. This is and we'll get into like when Michael May Michael May Michael Mann begins to lose, in my opinion, his way a touch. And lose his edge because right now he's like razor sharp though. Yeah, like I agree. There's some long stuff because then after that, what's what comes after? Last uh, of the Mohicans. Last of the Mohicans, which I love, has one of the greatest scores in history for Hollywood. But it's amazing, and he would even use that score for his NFL commercial, which was awesome. And him getting to work with Daniel Day Lewis and all of these other really cool actors and Wes Studi, who would appear yes, in Heat. Yes, yes, and. It's such an awesome period piece because it you it really truly immerses you in this. You you become part of this time period. Things don't feel fake. They don't feel like John Wayne bullshit. It feels as dirty and conflicted as maybe it might have actually been. I'm not. I, none of us were there. I don't think, except for me, because I am vampire. But it has this cool element where 
different groups of people didn't get along. Different groups of Native Americans didn't get along. This was a very weird time period, the French-Indian War. And it's based on these books that my dad liked a lot. Like, he would read them to us as a kid. And I remember these books being, like, cool, but also, like, you know, written, you know, the Natty Bumpo. Like, literally, also, just so you know, the character that Daniel Day-Lewis plays in that movie, the character's real name is Natty Bumpo, right? And he was a, a famous you know, sort of character of these books from the turn of the century. But he was also called by his nickname Hawkeye, which they call him. It is so much better. It is so much cooler. <laughs> it is so much cooler. He was a white orphan who was raised by the Mohican tribe, right? And so he kind of, even though he is white, he is like a Mohican Indian, basically. And then this is like one of the final books where shit gets epic, where literally the tribe is massacred and it gets down to like him and his brother and his father, right? And... It's if you've never seen the last sequence, the last action sequence at the end of Last of the Mohicans, it also takes place in these really awesome parts of the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. You are doing yourself a fucking disservice. You need to immediately watch this. It's fucking amazing. It's hyper violent. It's insane. And it's really like beautiful. It involves like suicide and people getting their dicks cut off and like um, some of those might not have happened. I might be remembering it wrong. There is a part where a dude gets burned at the stake and then Hawkeye is such a badass shot. He fucking from like on top of a mountain snipes the guy so that he doesn't have to burn alive. Spoiler alert, that happens in the climax of Lost Mohicans. And it's also this really like epic love story thing. Madeline Stowe. Madeline who, Stowe's great. She's great. She also was like the... Say something really mean. She was like the Andy McDowell could act of the nineties. Oh God, that's really on point, though. I'm sorry, Andy McDowell. <laughs> I know you're a big fan of the show. I apologize, but Madeline Stowe was in a lots of movies in the nineties and was awesome in like all of them. And she was, and there was actual chemistry with her and Daniel Day Lewis, which I find is something. That's as much as I like Lewis, sometimes when he has like romantic leads, I feel like there's a weird. I don't know. Yeah. This is one thing he kind of has trouble pulling off. But this time, I was like, I get it. It works there. It works in Phantom Thread because he's they're both so weird. They're both so weird. Yeah. It's also PT. I mean, exactly. Yeah, break. I mean, yeah. He's the new Kubrick. He's like the nice Kubrick. Maybe PT. I've never heard like PT is like evil to work with. He's a cinematographer. Yeah. Uh, he's recently said they will never work together. Well, again, it was like a bad marriage. Listen, I got to say, as someone who's made bad movies and TV things, cinematographers notoriously dildos. Okay. They are oftentimes. What's up, Herman? What's up? They're oftentimes foreign, <laughs> but I'm just putting it this way. In the history of Hollywood, a director and a cinematographer not getting along after a while. Shocking, oh, yeah. oh, mind-blowing. Wait, the guitarist and the drummer started to hate each other at some point? Oh, this is blowing my fucking mind. Like, Except for Janice Kaminsky, who years ago, Steven Spielberg threw a little mind control chip like on his neck when he wasn't looking, and now he just... He owns him. He technically yeah. owns Giannis Kaminsky and he keeps him in a little closet in his room and then activates him when he has to like. I feel like Spielberg does it with a lot of people. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But yeah. So yeah. Last well, of the Weekends is amazing. It I, is an amazing movie. I haven't seen it in quite some time. Yeah. I meant to rewatch it for this. Luckily, your memory of this movie is way better than mine. I loved that movie. I had a VHS copy of it. I watched it a lot. And maybe I'm wrong, but it's kind of a love story. It's a very sweeping love story. And there's tons of shit going on. It's a love story in the middle of a war. And so it's still a Michael Mann action movie. But the love story is at the, oh, I almost said heart of it. Yes, I. I, I was waiting for that. And it's very, very. I mean, you're right. Mm. It is his only love story. But yeah. when you watch Heat, oh, De Niro yeah. and Kilmer, oh, they, they sort of had a. Oh, and also De Niro and Pacino. If that exactly, movie would have yeah. ended differently where De Niro and Pacino just kiss, yeah. I would have been fine with that, too. Yeah. I would have fucking been like. like at least After he shot him, if you would have kissed him then? Oh, my God. Oh, my fucking God. All the sexual tension in that movie would have just evaporated. And he'd be like, well, he died, but at least they both got what they wanted. Spoiler alert. After like two hours of a will they, won't they, there is a scene where De Niro and Pacino sit down and have one of the best written conversations in the history of cinema. It is amazing. It's amazing. And it's basically their sex scene. It's it basically their cinema sex scene. What is that? Barbecues and ball games? <laughs> Just saying. What are you a monk? How does it go? It's like, if I gotta do it, then I'm gonna do it. Yeah. It's like that goes both ways. It's like, I love you, I love you, but if I gotta kill you, I'm going to kill you. 
Like, because Heat comes right after that because The Last of the Mohicans is a big hit. Yeah. And it gets nominated for tons of Oscars. I think it's the first time Michael Mann starts getting nominated for Oscars. I think yes. he got nominated for Last of the Mohicans. I think only the score won an award, although they do have to issue an Oscar to Daniel Day-Lewis at least once a decade. Otherwise, he will revert back into his original form and leave this dimension. Okay, so. We can't let that happen. That's part of Exactly. Yeah. He needs the Oscar gold to stay. It's part of his curse. And I love that Michael Mann finally has some, like, some clout and some serious money yes. behind him. Oh, and to he me. goes, he goes, have you guys seen my made-for-TV movie, L.A. Takedown? I want to remake that into a three-hour movie with Al Pacino and De Niro. And I got to say, me and Nicholas Sauter lived together for a while. <laughs> How many times did we watch Heat? Uh, Once a month? A lot. <laughs> the only it, movie we watched more than Heat was The Burbs. That well. And we'll get to our Joe Dante episode at one point. Oh, so or great. Tom Hanks or something. It's amazing. Or Corey Feldman. I don't know. No Corey's. Rick Common. But it is one of my all-time favorite movies. For a while, it was my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. I convinced a lot of people to watch it for the first yes. time. Because when I had a car, I literally drove around with it in the glove box. So we were like, what should we watch? I'm like, I got, I got heat in the car. I remember distinctly, my dad was very intrinsical in sort of my movie watching as a kid. And he let me watch it when I was like 10 years old. Because he's like... He was also a big Michael Mann nerd, and he didn't like it. And I remember thinking about it later, and also I watched it again. We had it in from Blockbuster, and I remember not getting into an argument, but making like a dissertation in the car when I was like 10 years old about why it was good, why I liked it, why I thought it was awesome. And I just remember distinctly my dad being like, all right, maybe I'll watch it again. And I that was like a victory, like a victory for me. That And also it's the thing that I noticed the last time we watched it, that once again... It is, but of maybe more so than every other movie, and I know all of this stuff we've been talking about how influential it is. That style, you watch it now, and you're like, this is awesome, this is dope. But at the time, it was so jarring. The action movies of the time were Demolition Man and Total Recall, and they're good, but they're very 90s, and they have this camp to them. This is from the fucking future. Heat is, there is no David Fincher, there is no... Christopher Nolan, that lean, real, bizarre, contrasty action movie does not exist without heat. Well, it's funny you say Christopher Nolan because the scene we talked about with them having the coffee shop, that is... The Dark Knight is literally, he said, yeah, completely influenced by Heat to the point where when the Joker and Batman have that talk in the thing, that's his version of the coffee shop scene. Yes! Heat is changed, like crime action films robbery movies and like you were saying like he's on the forefront of like pop society also just forefront of real life where people in la literally try to pull off that robbery the same (laughs) fucking way and there's a huge shootout in the street where all of them just got mowed down because that's not a movie man they're all dead they're yeah but they're the hockey mask they're the same guns they did exactly what the movie did yeah it's not just tom sizemore going down tragedy Yes. It's all dead. Just not. Fuck them anyways. But <laughs> also the other thing, Michael Mann knew, like, because we were mentioning Tom Noonan. Yeah. He knew where technology was going because Tom Noonan gets the plans and he's just like, he's showing him, he's got the blueprints, all this stuff. And he's just like, Jim's like, where did, you, where did you get this? He goes, all this stuff, man, they're just beaming out. They're just beaming out all over the fucking planet. All you got to know how to do is grab it. I know how to grab it. Yeah. Like he's new about all that stuff it back feel, in 1995. And honestly, it feels insanely current. I know there's parts where like all of a sudden they pull out some cell phone that you have to like point at the moon yeah. and you're like, oh, it's the 90s. But outside of that, exactly like you said, there's nothing that doesn't... It's something that I truly loved about him as a director is what I had said before, which is that it feels so classic. Yeah. And all of his stuff feels so timeless. Exactly. When he is on point... Mm. His movies exist in their own universe. There's no decade. There's no time. Yeah. You put on fucking heat. Yeah. It is gorgeous. It looks as good as it does as movies who are coming out now. And the acting performances all suck you in. They're all good. You just randomly pull up a scene from heat. The scene where De Niro tries to talk down Val Kilmer in peak hot Val Kilmer mode because he's mad at his wife and he's maybe getting yeah. hothead. And so he might also actually judge. And it's just like this whole element, like that there's all these amazing scenes and each scene connects each dot. And they're all, there's a lot of dialogue. This this is a three hour movie, but it's mm. also super lean. There's yes. not one scene in that movie no. where you can point out and go, that doesn't need to be in there. To be fair, they did cut out some scenes to get the R rating where 
Pacino supposedly was like doing cocaine. And they cut out a whole subplot. Yes, yes. And I just got to say, like you said, they didn't need to because I knew that was happening. Ex- and when you watch that yeah. movie, you are like, oh, fully aware. He, he reminds me of Uncle Jeff. Oh, oh shit. Oh, yeah, Uncle yeah. Jeff's a cokehead. Because he's in full talking quiet, talking quiet, talking loud Al Pacino mode, which is a.k.a. cocaine. Yeah. If you uh, just have to, you know, say that there's a... But of... Talking quiet, talking loud era Pacino. It's the best. It's the best. It's well done. Yes. Everything on that movie is perfect. He shot that in like super widescreen. So spookily gets to be the antagonist, right? You could take it either way. It's got a sort of Verhoeven twist that man takes where you get to decide who is the protagonist and who is the antagonist. Do you like Robert De Niro more and his cast of weirdos? Or do you like... Pacino and his cast of weird, semi-corrupt cops. Which one do you like more? And once you decide that, that's who your protagonist is and that's who your antagonist is. There is no clear-cut one. You follow them either way. They're the same person. His wife calls him out on it. It's like, she goes, all you are is what you're after. All you are is what you're hunting. Also, she was an actress, too. That's not Linda Fiorentino. That's not her. No, no, no. She was in Men in Black. I liked her. Yeah, that theme song. Although it is, uh, it's also Queen Amidala as uh, his stepdaughter. Oh yeah, Natalie Portman. <laughs> Natalie Portman is who is awesome as she's great. Uh, this movie, the let's, bitchiest let's... child in the history of time in that movie. This cast is yes. stacked. We got Ted Levine, <laughs> yes. Val Kilmer. Yeah, we got the guy who played Bubba yeah. from Forrest Gump. <laughs> oh, yeah, Malik Williamson. Also, the guy who Hank Azaria, the Allstate commercial guy who was the president on Twenty Four. Oh, yeah. Like I never right knew now. his yeah, name. I never know he's his great name. in this he, though. He, yes, Bud Courts. Yes, we got um. Oh, he see, but that's Henry like, Rollins. But I gotta say, like, that's also something man does well. Like, he has these action movies that are also ensemble movies. Yeah, and he gets all these. You know, we'll talk about like Michael Gambon as the villain in The Insider. You know, R.I.P. Michael Gambon. But man, maybe the scariest dude who ever lived in my of like actors. You know what I'm saying? I I've been terrified of that guy since. Um, and I always forget that. I'll, I'll look it up. But Mother Jugs and Speed? No, no. There's an amazing Michael Gambon movie, which I have to look up now so that I don't sound like a complete jackass. And hopefully Brian will edit this together so I sound more intelligent. Can you edit this together so I sound thinner? <laughs> you, you look real handsome, you piece of shit. Oh, thank you. Uh, but honestly, he changes the game. It is a bit of a critical darling, but it is not financially super successful. No, it made its money back on VHS because I own so many copies of this on VHS and DVD. The first time I saw this movie came out in 1996 on HBO, so I was like 13. (laughs) I went downstairs to do homework, turned on the TV to randomly see what was on. I caught the very beginning of it. I never finished my homework. That movie draws you in like nothing else. I just sat there and watched, and then at the end of it, I cried because, like you said, you choose your own protagonist. I never chose a protagonist. No. I'm like fucking, you know, all those countries that stay out of World War II. So, like, I get to pick, I get to hang on to both of them. Oh, Switzerland chose. Switzerland, thank you. I want to make sure. Oh, no, we are keeping all the gold at the end. And also, like, a testament to that is 20 years later, I showed that to Caesar from work. Caesar packed a bolt at the very beginning of the movie, set it down because it's the scene where they hit the armored truck with the semi. Yeah. That bowl went unsmoked the entire movie. He literally was on the edge of his seat for the first like two hours until the end of the shootout. And then he sat back and just went, whoa. Also, if you've never seen the shootout scene in Heat, you're an idiot. Yeah. You, I'm sorry. Like you need to. 10 walk. days to shoot. It's amazing. And we were talking about this a little bit the other day where also just little details that Michael Mann has. Whoever his prop guy is that he used. Muzzle blasts. Those muzzle blasts and the guns that they use and the way that it all looks and comes together. And it's just so viscerally insane, but it's so clean. It's not like Bay where things are like chaotic. No, you see every last goddamn image. And it only, in my opinion, like James Cameron sort of rivals him at peak game of forcing your heart rate up when you are sitting on a couch watching a goddamn thing on your television and you are there, you are locked in, you forget everything that's going on because you're watching the shootout at heat. And the only thing I regret is that I couldn't have seen it like on a big screen in like a 35 millimeter print because I'm sure it's fucking rad. 
I would give up my illegitimate child <laughs> to see that in 35 millimeter. I'm not, I, we could, we know people at the music box. We could force them. You were saying it took 10 days to film. And let's put it this way. The entire Blair Witch Project was filmed in eight days. Yeah. And most films are filmed in about a month, right? So the idea that you would take like a fourth of that to film one sequence, which granted is like 20 minutes long. It's a long sequence. It's a long sequence. But also Michael Mann yes. is so meticulous. Oh, you a see- guy who was obsessed with Stanley Kubrick as a child or as a college student that made him want, like he definitely was in that class, like of people who are like, no, this is going to be done correctly or it's not going to be done at all. It's not that he was like a psycho or a scumbag, but that he is. It has to be correct. It has it to has, be real. Yes. yes. It has to be real. He's mm-hmm. making fictionalized documentaries from what I can pull together. But like, squibs on people, cars right. blowing up, shots on windows. There's so much smoke yeah. that doesn't oh. change yeah, the from like it, oh. shot to shots. Also, that very chaotic things happen in that sequence, but they're not the normal Hollywood like explosion. Yeah. It's like I have never been in a shootout with the police with giant assault rifles, but it feels like everything connects, like it makes sense. When they get out of the cars and start shooting, they start covering each other, right? Like one covers the other. They shoot at the cops and then the cops all go down to get out of the fire so that one can run across the street. And then when this fire stops, the cops pull up from the cars and they start shooting at them while they're running. And then it all sort of makes sense. It all connects together. It doesn't just feel like the normal Hollywood thing where everyone's like shooting guns and or the influence of the stylized Hong Kong Japanese cinema, which don't get me wrong, I love, but like there's nobody flying through the air in slow motion with two guns, you know, John Woo style. It's, it is. It's Al Pacino running down the street out of breath. Yes. Because he can't catch up. So good. The fact that you could feel the exertion of these characters. They, you feel them getting exhausted. You feel like, oh, they're going to catch, like they're, they're gaining on you. Like those kind of, you know, it's like, and it changes. You can see when the adrenaline takes over Pacino because he's running down the street at the beginning and he's, Mm-hmm. Out of breath, and he's got that fucking oh, awesome right. giant gun. And they shoot his like sort of partner, his Ted friend. Levine. Yes, and he gets hit in the neck, and he just who's dies. Buffalo Bill, by the yes. way. But who is Buffalo Bill? Yeah, yes. He wouldn't have had that part if it wasn't for Michael Mann's Manhunter. Oh, oh, oh wait, <laughs> would you shoot me in the neck? Was I'd shoot me in the neck? <laughs> but then, like at the end of the shootout, mm-hmm. when Al Pacino's like full of adrenaline, can't stop. He's out of breath, but right. he just keeps going. He's right. like the Energizer Bunny. And then he takes that moment and uh, Tom Sizemore turns around with the kid. Because, like, also that weird moment where Tom Sizemore picks up the kid because he has kids to get the kid out of the way. Like, he just literally picks up the kid to get the kid out of the way, but he's still running. And then that slows him down. Such a smart moment with the writing where you know that he's the only one in this gang who has kids. So all the rest of them don't even give a fuck about these kids, but... Sizemore sees a kid in the crossfire and he picks him up, not as a hostage, but because he's like, I got to get this fucking kid out of this crossfire. But that slows him down. So he's the one who gets fucking murdered. It's like, holy shit. He's also the heaviest. Let's be honest. He's also Tom Sizemore. So I love you, Tom Sizemore. But let's face it, you were probably drunk during that. Come on. Like, let's face it. (laughs) Cocaine. Oh, yeah. Tom never had a drink in his life. But but, uh, you ever see the doors (laughs) in that movie? He's definitely drinking those beers for real. Two things real quick. One. I know I've talked about Val Kilmer's hair in that movie, but we were saying it's interesting also with his knowledge of pop culture. At that moment, him having like grunge Kurt Cobain hair, obviously, that's on purpose. And the thing that Michael Mann, I think, does better than anybody is pacing. Like, is Mm -hmm. this thing where he it's a slow build. Scenes are interesting. Stuff does happen. But it's like you're waiting for it. You're waiting for it. And you brought up the element where there's a slow motion shot. In his movies. One, yeah. Always one. One in his movies to let you know shit's about to go fucking down. When Peterson jumps through the window in Manhunter, when De Niro slows down in the car. um, Raises his rifle for the first time. Yes, yes. It's about, there's just a one subtle slow motion shot, and it... Well, that's not so subtle with the William Peterson. He jumps through a fucking window. Just, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but he looks real cool doing it. <laughs> His face isn't all super fucking cut up like when you jump through a fucking window. We'll have to do that one as like an episode one day of like dumb shit things that happen in yeah. movies all the time where it's like, if you jump through a window, you're going to be fucked up. Like, end of story. Like, Did you ever see uh, A Home at the End of the World? No. Colin Farrell's in it? No. 
in the beginning, there's a scene where his brother is super stoned yeah. and walks through like a sliding door into the yeah. living room and it slits his throat and he dies. I believe that I, one of my uncles had like one of his best friends. He just sort of missed a door and his hand went through a window and it like cut his arm so bad. He almost died. Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like he had to go to the hospital. And they were like, you know, doing all this crazy shit where they were like, we have to try and save him. He like almost went out. And they're like pinching off fucking veins that are like exploding blood out of it. It's like, holy shit. That, that's just his arm. Just his arm went through the fucking window. Well, it's a good thing. Who is this? Your uncle? His really good friend, his fucking... It's, really, it's a good thing yeah. that this guy wasn't yeah. chasing the Tooth Fairy. That is true. That is true. Okay. Other thoughts on heat? I know. I mean, uh, we Heat's, could do an entire episode on heat. Uh, maybe maybe what this will have to start doing is just like entire episodes on one fucking amazing movie. But, two things. Um, yes. Real fast. Yes. Um, the scene in Hank Azaria's office yes. where Al Pacino's just goes, she's got a great ass. <laughs> and that, that was improvised. And that look in Hank Azaria's face, that is real. <laughs> Absolutely. And then the part, I don't know why I love this so much, but it's the part where after the shootout and after he's out all night and like Ted Levine dies and they're trying to track everybody down, Al Pacino finally goes home and his wife was cheating on him with Ethan Hawke's dad from Gattaca. I don't remember his name. Oh, yeah. But he's sitting there and he's watching his television and he goes, He's like, Roy, you can sit around my wife's ex-husband's dead tech bullshit modernistic <laughs> house if you want to. You could lounge around in her furniture if you yep. want to. But you don't get to watch my fucking television <laughs> set. Watch and then television he just set. knocks it off the fucking <laughs> counter, drags it into the car. And the next time you see it, he's leaving the office again. He's at that red light and he just opens the door kicks it out the fucking car and then drives off and the door slams shut. And there's all these people at the bus stop just watching. And it's like, wow, I love Al Pacino in this. I'm sort of pro Al Pacino, but he is a petty bitch. He is a petty. He's also on cocaine. Yeah, it's full of cocaine. Also, there is a very satisfying subplot in which a yuppie shithead tries to fuck with Robert De Niro and his gang in the first act of the movie. Yeah. And they like fuck him. He lives up. in his office. <laughs> Yeah, Tony like, Goodwin? Is that yes, his name? Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. And they it is very satisfying, especially the climate we live in now of like capitalist bankers being like, I'm a fucking master yeah. of the universe. And he's like, anybody who messes with me, I'll just fuck them over. Yeah. And it's like, except the word on the for, street is it's okay to take my money. Yeah. I'm gonna fucking kill him. Thinking that they're just like low-level street thugs and they're oh, like yeah. a fucking paramilitary bank robbing gang and who then, will fuck you up. Like the scene in the yeah. kitchen where De Niro calls him. And he was like, my man never called back. Is everything all right? Like, he has a British accent for a second. He's so rich and pompous. And Jerry was like, you know what? Keep it. He goes, why? It's a lot of money. He goes, he's like, what are you doing? He goes, what am I doing? I'm talking to an empty telephone. He goes, I don't understand. He goes, because there's a fucking dead man on the other side of this line. Yeah. And then hangs up on it. It is fucking so badass. It is cold-blooded. It is so good. All right, all right. But we do have to move on. We're he's got other movies. This is only 1995. movies. Okay, so... The Insider's next. The Insider. I mean, <laughs> his movie that's not quite an insane action movie, but no, he returns to huge critical appraise. Yeah. Is nominated for like all the Oscars. Everything. Somebody wins, right? Is um, it? Not for acting. Not for acting. Okay. But it's good. It's also not like an action movie. It is it's not a, an action movie. It's a, it's a drama. It's a drama. It's a thriller. It, it's a thriller. Yes. It turns out the guys who make cigarettes are dicks. And that's the last film he makes of the 90s. I would say this, this is the peak of everything it's, it's he also, had going for him. It's also he finally decided to slow down and make a movie to showcase his ability to direct actors. And yeah. that's kind of what The Insider is. is, And also to really make his most, in my opinion, kind of luxuriously lit and crafted image movie. Because it's slower. It's a tense, semi-political thriller, if you will. And it's Pacino again. It's Gladiator. It's Michael Gambon, who you're saying. And the Michael Gambon movie, I looked it up. It's a Peter Greenway movie with Helen Mirren when they're both real young in the 80s or semi-young called The Cook, The Thief, His Wife. Oh, yeah. Her Lover, which is one of the coolest, nastiest fucking movies you will ever see. Michael Gambon is vicious. Helen Mirren turns out really good actor. This is mind-blowing. I know it's blowing your mind. Also, if we don't give Helen Mirren an an Oscar once a decade, she will revert into her original form and just, like, hulk out and start murdering. 
I mean, thousands really probably. into that idea. Yeah, I would watch that movie too. Can I real fast just yeah. go off topic? Yeah, which is crazy. Do, oh yeah. So we this is about this is about um, Russell Crowe. So it's mm-hmm. sort of on topic. I broke my ankle three days before I finished my junior year of high school. So I spent yes. the entire summer yeah. in a cast. I go back and start senior year, and I'm sitting at the lunch table, and the security guy comes up to me. He goes. How'd you break your ankle? I go, oh, I tripped on a porno tape. He goes, what was it called? I go, Gladiator. And he goes, that's not a porno. And he walks away. Ten minutes later, this motherfucker walks up to me and slams his hand on my shoulder and goes, Gladiator, that's great. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks, man. The rest of my senior year, when the security guy saw me in the hall, no matter how far I was from, yo, 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 Gladiator. What's up? I'm like, hello, hi. It was also for your love of wanting to fight Joaquin Phoenix all the time. We were just like, I'm going to fight you. There's one person I would never harm on this planet. <laughs> it's probably Joaquin. It is Joaquin Phoenix. It's true. It is funny that that's the first time I ever really remember seeing Joaquin Phoenix. Like, yeah. was as... Besides as like that picture in the obituary next to his brother. Oof. Oof. Is that dark? Oof. Is that too soon? Oof. Is that too soon? RB River. All right, let's talk about let's talk about the insider. I mean, I will say this: it's real good, but of the Michael Mann ones, it's kind of one that I've watched a couple of times. I've seen it twice, three times maybe. Mm-hmm. But it's same thing, paced really well, and then at the end gets wild. Gets kind of wild. It gets more tense than you think it would of just a guy ratting on the tobacco tobacco industry. But it is three hours long as well. As he was doing, he had decided he was just going to do. He was like, my movies will be three hours long. It's beautifully shot. That's very well-made movie. Very Kubrick-esque, if yeah. you will, also. It's extremely, and he basically was like, he had seen, you know, there had been Romper Stomper and Virtuosity and these movies where you you had an element of Crow being a solid actor who was handsome and interesting. And this was where Michael Mann is like, no. I'm going to take this guy kind of like Kilmer and I'm going to like actually press the button on him and turn him into him. Yeah. Right. And then he, he's got the glasses, he's got the gray hair. He doesn't look like the young, hip, no Australian he's crazy good. person. He's actually, and he's genuinely good. In it. Yeah. Truly good in it. Like Al Pacino doesn't yell at all in this movie either. Uh, well, yeah, that's not true, but no, uh, he's normally does. <laughs> the part where he's like, he goes to, Crow's house, and after, and Crow's like, you ratted me out. And he's like, I don't rat people out. How can I be a journalist if I don't, how can I be a journalist if I rat people out? You know, it's like, it's not as intense. You know, yeah. it's kind of, it's still mid-octave. You know, you're, he's not with Keanu Reeves the at the end of yeah. fucking Devil's Advocate. Touch! Look, but don't touch. <laughs> don't touch. Give me a blowjob. Fuck your own sister. Um, but the, which, those are lines, I think. Anyway, so, more or less. More or less. And it's also really good, but I it's truly worth watching. It's but it's watching it his stride. It is. But the watchability of it is not as high as it's not as fun. It's not no. as it's a serious movie. It is, and also it's kind of like how the late nineties was going, too. It's like deciding to be more serious, being more like mm, mm, yeah. you know, everyone's being a little more button up it's not as grunge as heat it was coinciding with the downfall of new metal and i feel like that really played a part in it and also it's it i because heat obviously now has become this classic and you know was critically beloved but didn't make a ton of money so when he's making another opus he kind of has to play ball a little more and I'm sure there were some producers who loved him and knew that. And they were like, Mike, on this one, we want you to go more with your ability to direct actors and make like an Oscar movie because we think you can do it. And it doesn't have to have a $20 million gun shootout scene in it. And because he's an awesome filmmaker, he was like, yeah, probably. I could probably do that. That's exactly how it went. And that's exactly how the meeting went. Um, everything we say on the show is exactly how it went. We definitely researched this entirely. But we My should. life is the research for this podcast. Absolutely. And then when you get into the 2000s, that's for me when it starts to get weird. There's there's a moment in there that's pretty great, in my opinion. Oh, in the which one? Collateral. Oh, okay. So Collateral is the peak of the 2000s. Collateral is the peak of the 2000s. Also, he, he starts to produce a lot more. Yeah. He starts to produce. He starts to produce with Peter Berg, where he produces Hancock, which is also kind of wild. And in my opinion allowed how the Marvel movies would then eventually go. Same thing, this deeper PG-13 character arc superhero movie. 
He also produced on The Aviator, won a BAFTA for that, got nominated for an Academy Award for that. And so he's really kicking ass producing. But there's a weird thing we were talking about. He decides to go digital, where that to me is okay. And I know. We are skipping over Ali, though. Well, not exactly, because Ali is the last big movie he shoots with film. It is also critically beloved. It gets nominated for Best Picture. Will Smith gets nominated for Best Actor. Of any of the Oscars that I thought it really should have won, it's probably Will Smith is the one. It's Will Smith doing a sort of bizarrely transcendent thing. But at the same point, it's boring and long. And for a movie about Muhammad Ali, how is it so fucking boring? And it's beginning to be noticed that he's making bloated movies that are over budget and bizarre. And yes, they get nominated for Oscars, but they're not making money at the box office. And I'm not going to lie. There's not a ton of people running around now being like, you know, what's an awesome movie. Ali, like no one's saying that. I mean, I'm sorry. Like we brought it up and it is a cool movie and it's worth watching, but it's not anywhere near in the canon of what he was doing before. And then he decides to like flip it. I mean, I don't know. What do you have? Do you have Ali points? You got big Ali points. This is one of his movies I've ever actually seen all the way through. Like it's, I, I get just, it. I it mean, was, it was not. I fell asleep during it. I, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like I, it, and also it, I was saying it before when we were talking about this a couple days ago, where Muhammad Ali is such a beloved character. People know about him. It's kind of like making a movie about Michael Jordan, and you do all the greatest hits pieces and you don't really add anything to it and you have a yeah. really great actor play him and you have really beautiful cinematography and it looks really good but there's nothing really added you're like he's awesome and he did awesome stuff and then at the end he was awesome it's like okay got it awesome they nailed it yeah but yeah you're right like i what what do you want me to say like yeah that muhammad ali is dope yes he is he's fucking one of the coolest human beings who ever lived particularly in american society if not human society awesome Ali also started the beginning of Michael Mann putting out like two or three director's cuts of his yes, movies. Yes, yes, because yes, he starts to get weird with yeah. that. But it's also the one too where he's like, I don't know entirely why it may have the NFL commercial comes out around this, which I have said. Which also do yourself a favor, watch. Uh, I think it's called Leave Nothing. It's a Nike NFL official commercial that Michael Mann directed around this time that involves the score from. Last of Mohicans, but it also involves him switching over to digital. I think it might be the first thing that he did where he switches over to digital and it's really pretty cool. And you can start to see the wheels turning because also at this point, one of his protege, not necessarily protege, because they didn't work, but clearly one of the guys who's very influenced by him is David Fincher. And Fincher is starting to really blow up around this time. And Fincher is using a lot of interesting stuff with digital and CGI. And he is using it in a very interesting way that nobody else is using. And that is when he sort of decides that he's going to make collateral, which goes back almost to like, in my mind, more closely to like thief or manhunter, you know, yeah. where it's this more tense, closely knit thing. Also just real fast. I found this out today. Um, he still used like, it was like a 80, 20 split for, yeah. Collateral, Miami Vice, and Public Enemies, where it was digital and film. The first movie he used all digital was um, Black Hat, and it shows. All right, so the digital era of Michael Mann begins with Collateral and is a huge success because it turns out that Scientologist has magic powers. Yes. Okay, and also, like we are saying, he nails it. He knows that Jamie Foxx is becoming Jamie Foxx kind of in that moment. I don't... I will say this collateral was the first of the Michael Mann movies, big Michael Mann nerd that I am that I saw in the theater and was like, I know it was a big hit. I I really liked it. Interesting. Interesting. I will put it this way. It's more. I just don't remember it. I just, I think about it and I don't remember a scene other than the scenes where Tom Cruise in the backseat being Lestat and just being like, I'm a vampire who's not a vampire. And Jamie Foxx is like, what's going on? Like, you know, like, and you're just like, man, that, but you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, but like, that's the yeah. thing about this is like, it's a, you know, it's a thriller. It's an action movie sort of, but mm-hmm. like fucking Tom Cruise is doing a horror movie yeah. role. He, he is, is scary as the fuck. vampire. I think he's scarier in this than, than, 
as Lestat. Oh, yeah. He doesn't have, like, the weirdest, beautiful hair that any man has ever fucking been running with. He's a centaur. <laughs> yes. He is full tilt, L.A. killer, yeah. psycho guy. And I, I rewatched the, the shootout scene in the nightclub. Yeah. And that is absolutely brilliant. Also, Mark Ruffalo, the Hulk, has dreads. It's so good. I think they're that... cornrows, actually. <laughs> oh, excuse cornrows. me. Cornrows, yes. Cornrows. Just sweet day Yeah. But, like, you watch that scene... Uh, the shootout in the nightclub, and it's like, who did the Fifth Element? Luke Besson. Luke Besson. Yes. All of his European stuff. Yes. Has basically been like trying to do that scene mm. for ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me more of like Thief. It reminds yeah. me more of old Michael Mann, and it's this weird element where I then think that's why he went digital on the rest of the movies, and that's when you then get into. Public Enemies, which starts to degrade as well, where I'm not entirely sure. And maybe it's just the the movie industry in general is changing, but he's shooting on digital, which is the main thing that stood to me the most. This is the most contrasty, classic style filmmaker of the modern filmmakers, influencing all these other filmmakers. And he decides to start shooting his movies on cameras they shoot soccer games with. You know, they first of all, I'm just saying, or like, first of all, or spookily, the NFL. You know what I'm saying? They start shooting with these digital cameras so that he can be like, oh, I can then manipulate doing this a slight George Lucasy sort of thing. He's like, but then I can manipulate it with digital camera. I can manipulate. And it's like, it's quote unquote easier. But yes, there is an easier element, but it looks shitty. Yes, you still have apparently the same badass prop guy with public enemies so that these guns and everything and the costumes and the, you know, the shooting, the fucking Tommy guns looks rad. And that's the only thing that looks good. It in those lo- movies. And also he's losing an element on directing actors and whether or not that's Johnny Depp being on meth. I don't know, but I'm just saying that there's this. Michael Mann consists right. of two combinations. Yes. Style and substance. Yes. When you take away film from yeah. him, yeah. you're sort of just like, you know, you're hobbling him like James Conn in fucking misery. Yes, and honestly, I, I, and also that great touch he had of directing actors, I, I don't know what the hell happened, but it starts to go into the later stuff with Black Hat and these movies where these aren't these aren't bad actors. Thor is not a bad actor, you know. But he's not a computer hacker. No, that's, he doesn't look like somebody who would sit at a computer for fucking. Also, anyone who wants to make a movie a about a computer, like computer hacker movies, have they ever worked? I mean, they're always like the goofiest movies ever. I mean, the movie Hackers is fun, but it's stupid. It's so dumb. It's it the so dumbest dumb. movie. The net, they're dumb. If anytime you make a movie about a computer hacker, you're instantly aging yourself. You're instantly looking like a moron. Yeah. And that's not what he makes. That's not what he makes. He makes classic, beautiful stylized action movies and he created so many people after him who did that and maybe don't even do it as much as I love Finger and I like Nolan sometimes they're not even anywhere near as good as Michael Mann at the best level and you know and like another part of it is that he is just he's an old man mm. he's an older guy getting older there is that element it's because like, like he was working with Ridley Scott when they were the same age they were, the, yeah. they were in their 30s Ridley like Scott's the late- 82 they, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's probably pushing the late 70s. He's Michael Mann's 76. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, this whole element where he's like, he's still trying to stay relevant because that's always what he did. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And he's trying to hit he the. He was ahead of the curve. Yes. And, and then he was the curve. And now it's just like, yeah, he's not on the same road. But then what's funny is, is that he could do an Altman thing if he wanted to and just go back to the old shit he used to do, which yeah. might be the way to do it. But also, he's losing his hearing. He's going to be deaf by the time he's 80. That would be I tough. To direct movies. Yeah. But also, I read this today. Like, it's big in Public Enemies and it's bigger in Black Hat. We're like, he's such a control freak yeah. that he's like trying to like mix the movie behind the sound mixers. And that's why the sound is off. That's like why like the audio goes in and out. The guns are louder than people talking or like the scene loses it. He's literally so old that like it's affecting the movies. And I think you've nailed it a little bit, which is look, you can't stay gold pony boy okay no. it's just how it goes sometimes that's a robert frost poem it's not just a fucking weird movie with ralph macchio no. in it if you were to culminate our opus on michael mann obviously heat is the fucking the culmination yeah but outside of heat 
Which of his movies would you also say? Like, you gotta see it. Like, you gotta Manhunter. Manhunter. Without a doubt. Yeah. I kind of lean with you. Manhunter is pretty goddamn fucking amazing. I would go also with Thief. Thief is... Thief is amazing. Thief almost has that sort of same weird pacing that Heat has, where it's kind of slow in the beginning. Like, and they are, like, up to robberies and weird stuff, and then... Same thing that breaking the safes is mm-hmm. then, uh, when they try to knock over the metal depository. Absolutely, and it works really well, and it's a part of... If you ever were just curious on a weird level what Chicago used to look like, Truly, it encapsulates it in a way that I've never seen anybody do. No. I never, as much as I love John Hughes and things like that, it just, no, that's actually what the city itself was. Weird, hard to get into, hard to understand, a crime city, a weird city, you know? But I think it's been a pretty goddamn good Michael Mann episode, to tell you the goddamn truth. Until we got to the end. Well, but that's how it works with Michael fault. Mann. I know, yeah. it's like, he's not dead. What's the movie he's working on? It's a Ferrari movie, actually. Interesting. About just him driving around in a Ferrari. Him being rich and like, you know. Getting coffee with people. (laughs) I was having coffee with Macaulay half an hour ago. (laughs) He just shows up to Jerry Seinfeld's house. Um, Directors in cars getting coffee. (laughs) This is my show. I'm just saying I think it was a pretty goddamn good Michael episode. And I enjoyed it. You know what? I'm going to say it's fine. I'm not going to listen to it back. I'm not going to listen to any of these back. Of course. I will because I like the sound of my own voice. I go to sleep. I have a recording of myself saying, you're not a piece of shit over and over again. I have to listen to it to go to sleep. Um, But this has been Blockbuster Film School. I hope you learned something. We're going to be back next week. And I'm Alex Bonner. I'm uh, Nicholas Souter. And this has been Blockbuster Film School. You're handsome pieces of shit. Remember, take drugs, drive your car real fast, do whatever the fuck you want because it's your life.